welcome to Hort Culture, where a group of extension professionals and plant people talk about the business, production, and joy of planting seeds and helping them grow. Join us as we explore the culture of horticulture. Hey, everybody. Are you excited? Buongiorno. How's everybody feeling today? Howdy. Are you enjoying Happy. these cool mornings? We're recording these, you know, end of September. So Every morning with you guys is cool. Oh, well. Yeah, it's more gross. of a mindset for me. Yeah, yeah, you know. I'm talking physically. I was out in the field this right. morning and my hands were like a little chilly while I was harvesting. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of chilly, it is chilly well, weather. Yes. A little mm-hmm. cup of chili. 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 What kind of – are you a white chili fan? Are you a red chili? Do you put noodles okay, in it? Okay, there's only one color for chili. It is not soup, Alexa. Soup is, can be white if it wants to be. Oh. Chili should be reddish to dark reddish. Okay. Yeah, oh, should have rice in Do it. you put noodles in your chili? That's that seems like some kind of Ohio thing. I put it I over know. my noodles because it's real thick. My chili is robust. And sometimes I can use it as a sauce. I think you can put it over rice or a hot dog. Yeah. Rice? I've never put yeah, a chili over rice. Very southern. I like chili that. Noodles, yeah. like noodles in your chili is blasphemy where I'm from. So oh. I do not do noodles in my chili. No. I thought you just said you put it over it. Or... No, I, I will put it over like make spaghetti and actually use yeah, chili. Spaghetti. That's what you're saying. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, spaghetti. That's <laughs> spaghetti. no, that's spaghetti. Spaghetti to chili. <laughs> yeah. But chili? no, as far as, uh, yeah, mom would do that sometimes growing up to, to stretch it because there's a lot of kids yeah, and lots <laughs> of farm people to feed for lunches like, you know, when we were yep. working. So that was when you did that, it was an economic decision to stretch the chili. See, right, my right. family just put more beans in it. Like you yeah, need to stretch good. it further. You just put more, more beans, beans in it. Yeah, mo yeah. beans. Like, I, I like the kidney it, beans. All like kinds of kidney beans. Five different kinds of beans in the chili. I'm team. I'm team like. dark red chili. I'm team okay. red chili. Right. So. Yeah, what about, yeah, red what chili. about you, Brett? How you feel about chili? Are you I a mean, chili I, boy? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, I would say so. My my, that was one of the things that my dad always like a very uh, seminal menu item at our house, yeah. and my dad always made. Uh, I mean, it, and it was a traditional kind of red chili with beef uh-huh. and beans and mm-hmm. you know tomato based and all that. Yeah, I kind of feel like chili unto itself is that. And yeah. like there are other variations yeah. that are comparable, like the white chili, which I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't really feel like – it's like saying, would you like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, but instead it has ham and cheese on it? It's like – it's not the same. I mean those <laughs> are both are enjoyable, but those are not the same thing. Right. Yeah. Ham uh, is just a type of jelly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they say that cheese is the peanut butter of dairy. So, so what about uh, I'm gonna have to unpack that. Uh, <laughs> well, I know, we'll I'm gonna be thinking about cheese. that for days. We'll peanut butter. I can see the comparison there. Yeah. Spray cheese, mm. like, yeah, just spray it all over. Do you, did you like all grow up with eating a peanut butter sandwich with yes. your chili? And I mixed in a little bit of syrup <laughs> with the peanut butter. And had peanut Whoa. butter and that syrup sandwiches. It was just pure hatred at that. Like, like maple <laughs> syrup? Like, or, no, just table syrup, whatever kind of syrup. Bob Watt like was actually our preferred like syrup. Mrs. Buttersworth, Mrs. Buttersworth, that was a good one. Yes, okay. very sorghum nice. Syrup. But yeah, mix that with uh, peanut butter. Sorghum was a favorite. Oh, yeah. Yes, oh. sorghum and peanut butter, yeah. yeah. No, I'm, I am, I was Midwestern enough to put spaghetti in my chili, but not not Midwestern enough to do the... Uh, peanut, peanut butter. butter. I, so, I always thought of that as like a Illinois, Indiana Ohio thing. But Ray is uh, saying he's a cosmopolitan man. He's a Kentucky boy. 
I mean, I put yeah. chili on lots of different things because I love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like I'll dog. top dress my soil with it. I my mean, my, uh, my northern Appalachia family are purists in the chili world, okay? So it's beans. It's maybe a meat, okay? Maybe. Hamburgers. Not even, more, not more even beans. More meat, please. <laughs> because you might not have the meat because you're poor, so you put more beans in it. <laughs> and, and tomatoes. Tomato base. Tomatoes of all kinds. I think there's a lot of cumin. Now, I don't want to- More of whatever, more of that accent. What's that? Yes, we need more of that, Alexis. <laughs> it felt very I like that. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Did it come but, out? Comes out sometimes? Cumin yeah, and brown sugar like goes in there. J with it, though. Like, if we did sandwiches with something that was like a tomato like chili or tomato soup, it was always a grilled cheese. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not yeah. PB&J. It's just peanut butter. Yeah, it's just peanut butter on bread. Yeah. Or crackers. Some people do like peanut butter. And well, crackers. yeah, yeah. Okay. My, parents, my parents did like buttered crackers, saltines with like a little oh, smear okay. of butter on them. They're, that's actually. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, that's fine. Okay. That is a that fine. Oh, man. Funny you say that because I was listening to a different podcast um, and they're in Massachusetts and she mm. was saying how everyone thought she was weird because she liked butter on her saltines. And I was like, that's normal. Like, why yeah. would that be weird? <laughs> Yeah, what are you what, doing with weird? Your crackers? I've never had a without butter on it. <laughs> what? I have club crackers just sitting here on my desk when I'm bored. Like my when I was young, young, my dad would make these these things. I don't know where. I guess his mom or something, maybe a vestige of the strange recombination culinary culture of the '60s, where you would take different, put them in a Jello mold. Cre- yeah, exactly, like Jello mold, that kind of thing. It was uh, it was a, a saltine, a little dab of mayonnaise, a quarter mm. of a craft single or a, you know equivalent yeah. on I'm that, there, and then a slice or two of dill pickle on top of that. Okay. Oh, interesting. It is yeah, a little crunch. You got crunch. You got tang. You got the sweetness of the mayo. I'm, I'm not mm. mad about that. Oh man, it is <laughs> a strange. It's a str- it looks strange. I'm here it, for it. But I I would. Eat. I would Takes eat some back. right now. <laughs> Sometimes I just like I'll go in the fridge and I just like open a craft single and I just eat it like standing in the <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a regular occurrence. Reed it was comes string by. cheese before there was string cheese. Was the string? Well, the, the funny thing is, is yes, you also the have square, string the cheese. But sometimes you just want to unwrap a slice of cheese. You know? I knew I had a problem when my dog became accustomed to me opening cheese, and she Down. would come running. Little Dino would come running because she would hear the cheese pack being opened. <laughs> you hear the that Instagram random. cheese tack song. Yeah, cheese. Uh, tech, no, tech, cheese tax. The cheese tax. Is that when you tip the bag up? No, it's when the dog requires a cheese tax. Do you ever eat Vienna sausages? Sometimes pronounced Vienna sausages. Oh, if you're an Appalachian. Yeah. Dad and I would eat them in the car, so we didn't have to take the evidence home. Like, oh, we pop the can. We, <laughs> we stashed them well, in the dashboard of the truck to keep them warm. We had a special spot Ooh, on the dash. Solar, yeah, solar power, <laughs> yes. baby. And then when we needed to cook the spam, we put it on the manifold of the old farm trucks. We had a special spot on the manifold that would heat mm-hmm. the spam. So oh, we yeah. were pretty thrifty. Wow. Yeah. Well, we were just cut, energy cycling. Yeah, we, we would cut go. those viennese in, in half and uh, put. Pretzel sticks in them as a little mm-hmm. ha- a little edible handle. And okay. when you're oh, yeah, yeah. fancy, you get the barbecue. Oh, mm. look I'm at you! I'm impressed. Use a handle. Man. Can we like <laughs> I mean, next I was a big party? City. Big city. Next party, <laughs> everybody bring that weird thing that you grew up eating. Like yeah. that's that should be a theme. 
Okay. I want to hear more about idea. it. I know. I want to hear more about it. I love I regional that eating because I don't really throw parties, but Brett does. So I'm trying to like noodle. Amazing food. Him <laughs> Amazing food. All noodles, Anyways, no, no, but, all noodles, no chili. Actually, butter noodles are not the worst. Okay? Butter noodles with some salt, the buttered salt. saltines yeah. cracked up in. Mm, I, don't, I mean, add, add, some add a little bit of garlic, and you got Alfredo, baby. You got, enough, <laughs> you got a sauce going. We've got entirely. Oh, too the Italian in me is raging. I'm entirely too excited about. How do we get here? I don't know. Wait, hold, on, hold on, hold on. Chili, right? Chili has many different particles in it right we've got beans, so many particles got meat, got happy tomatoes. particles very lots similar to what soil might yes. have in it mm-hmm. right lots of different nutrients lots of different structures that mm-hmm. make up a beautiful compound in your pot and around here a lot of it is a brownish red <laughs> i mean <laughs> basically walk on chili every day mm. so what we are talking about <laughs> today is soil testing we're going to talk about when to do it, how to do it, as well as kind of how to interpret those results. And so uh, we know we get some some calls, some questions about that, and it can be a little bit confusing. So we're here to help you out with that. So that's where we're going with Chili. <laughs> Nine <laughs> minutes into the episode. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you all can listen you, can to Can you tie in that? Vienna sausages for us as well? <laughs> the, the smoothest thing. of segues. I guess that little handle is sort of like a soil, soil probe, probe, which yeah. is one of the tools that we might use to test soil mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> oh lord we're well, really reaching out there and i love every moment of this yes so soil testing right we're, we're talking about it here in the fall because in kentucky at least it's usually the best time to do soil testing can anybody mm-hmm. tell me why because the lab has time <laughs> <laughs> sorry brett brett was raising his hand brett? i know you, we don't have video i was just playing the playing the the eager School eager student, uh, student. Yes, the, that's what's called student school child. School child. <laughs> yeah, the so I I think of two reasons. One, the Ray said, you know, it, everybody's really excited to get their soil tested in the spring, which means lots of people send it in. There can be backups in the lab. But the other reason is if you're if you're at all concerned about or trying to make any adjustments to your pH, there might be some things that you might have to intervene on uh, at this point versus later. And you can also be a little more prepared going into spring. Those would be my guesses for, for why, but am I missing something? Yeah, no, pH also like nutrients and uh, depending on if you're u- what kind of um, fertilizer you're using. So sometimes our more organic fertilizers or our manures, things like that, need a lot more time to break down. And so putting them on in the fall makes them more available in the spring when the plants can actually mm-hmm. use them. Uh, so yeah. fall is by far the best time. Yeah. That's uh, kind of like to- our, our discussion of cover crops a few weeks ago with yeah, exactly. giving them time to break down. And there's another really important reason for those of you guys that have taken soil samples before and tried to use a soil probe in summer, <laughs> they're very hard to get to go into the ground. You will say lots of interesting words, not all of them good, as you're trying to take a soil test. So part of it is hopefully in the fall of the year, the soil is more agreeable to being tested as far as getting an actual soil probe in the ground. If you are using a soil probe, if you're a home gardener, you may be using a trowel, but I tell people not to overlook that fact that in the fall of the year, the temperatures are typically milder. There's more moisture in the soil typically, and that makes it easier to actually pull uh, the soil samples. Uh, So that's another reason that I like to take Mm -hmm. soil samples at a certain time of the year. 
Yeah, and I would just add that whenever you do take them, it's good. You should those comparisons from year to year. It's mm-hmm. better if they're at, taken at the same time of the year. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. September, sometime in September, or you know, even later October uh, is fine as long as you've got some time to get out there and get some nutrients down and, and mm-hmm. a way to protect it either through tilling it in or you know cover cropping or whatever that is to keep those and, nutrients and from washing away uh, Brett mentioned be- you know commercially you know if you're working with larger areas i'm just under the assumption that you may be using a bulk lime because we break lime down into either bag lime which neutralizes very quickly or uh, just agriculture grade lime which breaks down very slowly it takes months and months and months to break down and neutralize uh, so yeah, that's another great reason to give yourself a little bit more lead time when taking a soil sample. If you do need to apply lime and it's agriculture grade lime, just why, keep it. Why mind would that's, one apply lime, Ray? If your pH is off, if you have low pH, and that would be indicated on the soil sample. And as we get into talking more about the actual results and the comments that we make as agents, that's something that we always note on there if lime is needed, if it is needed, not always needed, but if it is needed, uh, that'll be a comment on there and how much and which quality. And um, if you're a medium-sized producer, I know that I personally have to always ask, will you be using bag lime or uh, agriculture bulk lime? Because it does make a huge difference on the expected, um, you know, period that that's going to neutralize the soil. So, Out of curiosity, I mean, so I work on campus and don't have to this isn't part of something that I do regularly is providing interpretations. So just out of curiosity in y'all's counties, like about how many kind of soil tests are you evaluating or helping out with a year or um, yeah, I guess a year or a month. I mean, just roughly. Our office does a few hundred and I I'm trying to reverse that in my head because in our office, you know, like many offices, there's an agriculture agent and then a horticulture agent. Mm -hmm. For me, myself, uh, I'll do, I don't know, a few hundred. Yeah, yeah, um, I do. Personally, I do about 300. And then my ag agent probably mm-hmm. does about that many as yeah. well. Wow. So, yeah. I, and for those of you who are like, wait, what? So Ray and I are horticulture. <laughs> so we're going to cover home lawns, home gardens, and commercial horticulture production, mm. where our agriculture agents are going to cover pastures and, uh, and what, tobacco, corn, soybean, that kind of stuff. What does an mm. extension agent, quote, doing the soil test or handling the soil test mean? Like, what do you all do? <laughs> Don't you just press forward? <laughs> <laughs> yes, if that only. is exactly what we do. <laughs> so when you take a soil test in the state of Kentucky, you know, we have 120 counties, we have 120 extension offices, but we, we used to have two labs. We only have one lab now, but uh, the second one is being built again. So <laughs> you will take a soil sample into your extension office. And I know they do this in all states, uh, but how close your extension office is, is I'm not sure, but you'll take this into your local extension offices. Uh, they'll ask you a couple of questions. Hey, what are you growing here? How big of an area? those types of things that all goes into a system and then that gets sent off to University of Kentucky's soil lab where they run a bunch of tests and then those results get sent to our desks and so I personally look at every single soil test that is for horticulture that comes through this county uh, and I give a recommendation I interpret those results for you as a homeowner and for me personally I'm going to give it down to like a hundred square feet or even smaller mm-hmm. sometimes, uh, depending on what you're growing. So 
if you've got one azalea, I'm going to help you with one azalea. If you've got five <laughs> acres of watermelon, I'm going to help you with five acres of watermelon. And so we, we scale those. Uh, and mm-hmm. then also, you know, we may ask you, are you doing organic production? And I'm going to give you recommendations for organic fertilizers uh, versus conventional. And so we ask you all these questions and then we say exactly, put down exactly this at this time, you know, till in or broadcast, whatever. And bada boom, bada bing, bada bang. <laughs> yeah. Blamo. Blamo. Boom. That's the one. Mic drop. And then we send that to you. Uh, so it does take some time. So we usually say a safe bed, even in the fall, uh, we say two weeks to get it back. And then I'm going to look at it within the week I get it, hopefully. And, or I am, because I can't stand the, the, seeing them on my desktop not completed (laughs) so we're going to get that done so you're looking at you know give yourself a month to be able to do that which is why doing it in the fall is great because in the springtime everybody's rushing and it can take a month to get that back right i know that there are options people can get on their test to Mm -hmm. do additional things if they select many options does it take it longer for you to get it back to them or is it it kind of about the same it depends on like what their goals are. If they're just wanting to know like, hey, if I plant something here, am I going to get lead poisoning? Like that's a pretty easy like <laughs> right. yay, nay. So mm-hmm. the soil test that we run here and that most labs run is going to be the report's going to show phos- amounts of phosphorus, potassium, calcium, magnesium, zinc, pH and your buffer pH as well as your CEC. And those are going to be – and they're going to give you a nitrogen recommendation. And that's uh, the and default basic test. Those are the basic tests. Yep. 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 So that's the that's standard. the big nutrients you need. The bi- Yeah. Those are your, your, your max guide. Mm-hmm. But you can have optional tests. So organic matter – Uh, boron. So if you're growing root vegetables Mm -hmm. or cruciferous vegetables, boron is often a really important micronutrient. There's other micronutrients, you know, copper, iron, manganese, um, soluble salts. So if you're growing in a high tunnel where you're not getting Mm -hmm. a lot of rainfall or something, or you've got greenhouse plants, soluble salts are going to be really important. Uh, You can also do heavy metals. So remember I said, like, am I going to die if I plant my tomatoes here and eat them? We can run a heavy metals test, but we can even do soil texture, which is cool. So it's not chemical. If you just want to know the level of sand, silt, and clay uh, mm-hmm. that you have in your soil or in a particular area, we can do that as well. And that's always a cool thing to kind of add on. But yeah, so there's and there's a couple more as well. But those are kind of the the big ones that we see people needing. And so the decision about like which tests to run and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, what you're growing there, those questions, that's happening kind of on the front end mm-hmm. before, when, you know, when you're filling out the sheet or that, yes. you know, you are filling it out for the person and then the recommendations will just come to you in your email and, and, mm-hmm. and, or be mailed to you um, at the, on the back end. Right. That's the. Right. Yeah. We're going to ask you a bunch of stuff up front <clears throat> when you bring that soil in and what you tell us is going to inform how I mm-hmm. give you a recommendation. So like, be honest, like it's not, it doesn't hurt my feelings uh, at all, but be honest about it so that I can tell you and you're not going to waste time and money on something if you don't need it. I'm embarrassed Usually, to say this, but we're actually going to be growing two azaleas. <laughs> it's I'm okay. so sorry. I've heard this all the way. <laughs> I'm not and, here and to judge. <laughs> even before we get to the point of like, you know, them bringing the soul into us, there's a lot of work 
preferably if it's someone that's completely new to taking soil samples. Mm. Uh, I know that I spend some time because I think it's the best time spent to get a good sample, a good representative sample Mm -hmm. of the section that they're wishing to test. It may be 30 acres. It may be 300 square feet. And these Mm. are all things that we need to know up front. Not only that, but we need, you know, as I'm talking to people, if they're brand new, I'm like, well, what's, do you know any of the history on the, on the, the, section that you're going to be soil testing do you do you know yeah. anything about that uh we i need to know all of that and not only that but what what's the crop that you're wanting to put in because that's going to affect the depth that you're taking that soil sample at i mean if it's turf you're taking it between a half an inch and two inches for turf but if it's something like a you know other root crops maybe six to eight inches or like vegetable crops typically six to eight inches on tilled soil so all of that makes a big difference and the time that i spend working with homeowners and commercial producers uh, mostly homeowners that have never taken soil samples that's really great time spent because that makes sure that they bring me a really good sample that represents the the area that they're testing uh, and then it all starts with that for me uh, getting great results is based on getting a great sample. So what do your so what do your pro tips look like if I'm it's not much of a stretch if I'm a noob that comes into your office and <laughs> says, "Hey Ray, I'm trying to uh, grow a uh, you know a 50 foot by 50 foot garden mm-hmm. this year. It's going to be some cut flowers, a few vegetables. I need to know what that soil do." Mm-hmm. <laughs> what would you how would you respond to me or like how would you walk me through that start with usually you know trying to visualize what kind of space which you you know have already laid that out it's 50 by 50 feet or just whatever and i'll ask them is it fairly uniform because even there can be believe it or not variability even within small areas so i really mm-hmm. try to get at that uniformity and you mentioned two different crops there which is going to be two separate Uh, recommendations that you're going to get back because under our new new soil testing programs here in the state that most of us are using, one recommendation will come back for home vegetable gardens. And is it true, Alexis, that my alternate recommendation will come back for like the flowers? Mm -hmm. I will not treat those the same, even though it is the same uh, soil that I'm sending to the lab. We do that on our end. But how deep, Alexis, uh, he mentioned like the flowers. How deep would you go on those? Is that six to eight inches on yeah, your it's average? About, if, if you're growing yeah. like an annual flower, like it's zinnias, the same for vegetables. something like that. So that's, mm-hmm. uh, that. In your scenario, Brett, six to eight inches, you're pulling the soil sample down. Now, then I begin, in my particular office, we have soil probes uh, that facilitates taking a soil sample. It, you take a great sample with those. You don't need those. You can take a really good sample with a garden trowel as long as you can get down to that six to eight inch depth. You all, you all loan out those probes? Yeah, we yes. loan those out. There's a deposit. Not Now, it's important to note that not all offices have those. You just need to call and communicate with your local A shovel works office. just as good. Yeah, shovel works great. And I encourage people to use a clean plastic bucket, specifically plastic, not uh metal, not tin, not rubber, because all of those have zinc in them. Believe it or not, rubber has zinc in it. It will absolutely contaminate the sample and mess up your uh, micros on zinc, rubber will. So no metal, no no rubber, good, clean, just plastic bucket. Uh, that That's key. And then we talk about sampling patterns, doing like an invi- imaginary tic-tac-toe pattern in your head, going around, pulling individual cores if you're using a soil probe, you'll get a core. It's like a hollow tube, and then you'll get this core of soil at whatever depth. You can accomplish that, once again, with a trowel. 
pulling cores from that invisible grid in your head from all around the area that you're sampling, you're putting that into your pla clean plastic bucket and mixing that up mm -hmm. and then bringing that sample in. And of that, we need what, Alexis? About a pint of soil? Yeah, I usually tell people two cups is usually yeah, okay. two cups. enough. Yeah. Um, uh, but, but more that, is fine. Yeah. You give them the bag to take home when they come in. Some cases, yeah. yeah. They've come in and we're working with them because mm -hmm. that gives them a target to shoot for. And yeah. I, and we and so many times, I don't know if Alexis, you've had this, but folks that have not taken samples before, they'll come in and they'll just grab some bags at the front office and they'll come back and I will see that shovel slice. One mm -hmm. shovel slice of soil mm. in the bag. And that's what you don't want to do. You want to take a composite sample made up of many little individual samples from that area, blend it up. And then from that blended sample. Get an average. Yes, get an average. And uh, th those samples, and they said, well, can you just go ahead and take this one shovel full? And I'm like, well, it's not really going to give results or it's going to give misleading results. And you're going to apply nutrients that may not be needed or you're not going to apply nutrients that are needed. So mm -hmm. that's a soil sample to me starts, everything starts with getting that good composite sample and at the proper depth. To be clear, and I, I know this sounds like silly to say, but I, I feel like I have to say when we say like that six to eight inch depth, we're not talking about the soil from just six inches. We're not saying, mm -hmm. you know, go six inches down and only take that. We're taking the, talking about that top from, you know, the sod or the top of the soil down six yeah. to eight inches, that full spectrum. Trying not to get, not, not to get a lot of organic matter in there or scruff. Try not to get like sticks and little debris. Yeah. Like don't, home don't bring us in your grass. That's yeah. not before helpful. You, before <laughs> you bust it up, before you, you know, grind it up or, or you know, mix mm -hmm. it up with your hands, your bucket will be full of little, ideally, little six to eight inch long plugs mm -hmm. of soil if you're using a soil probe or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, cross sections of a shovel slice if you're doing it that yeah. method. Yeah. So that, yes. but mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, it's a little, a little plug of my job before this, I pulled Countless. thousands, I don't know, <laughs> so many soil samples. So the little plugs that sometimes are in my, Nightmares. In your nightmares. No. <laughs> <laughs> They're in my dreams. When I, I close my eyes, it's all I see. <laughs> <clears throat> Any other basic tips on kind of that annual soil test approach? I, I always tell Ray hit on this. I always tell people um, if if they have gardened in that area or they it's something noticeably different, like whether or not maybe mm. it holds water a little bit longer. You always notice that mm. water puddles in that area or when you plant tomatoes there, they're never as good or they're better, whatever it is. Um, maybe it even gets more shade, like for home lawn people, like I'm like, take your shade samples separately. The take weeds, that sample, they're like radically different. Right. If the weeds mm -hmm. there, anything that you, you don't have to know what the answer is, you just will inherently know something is different. Yeah. Um, so you don't, yeah, you don't need to be an expert. So if you know that area is different, take that sample separately uh, and then you can name that sample whatever you want and you as long as you know where it's from and we'll we'll run that sample separately. Ray was talking about, you know, there's a lot of different ways to bring in a sample uh, and we can put a lot of different crops on there now. Uh, so we have, we can just do general vegetable garden and that's what we'll do for people who they're going to grow a little bit of everything. They're not quite sure maybe where they're going to put it, but they're going to have a few plants, you know, 10 or less plants of each different thing. We'll run that as something general. But if you do know for sure, hey, this is where my tomatoes are going or my corn or my flowers, mm -hmm. whatever, let us know. And again, bring those samples in differently because tomatoes mm -hmm. are a great example. 
of they're very heavy feeders and they're also a little bit of a diva when it comes to levels that have to be kind of right on point. And one of those is called the hearts ratio. And so you'll only get that for a tomato sample. And that will be kind of something automatic that happens when we plug in. That's what you're growing there. Uh, And so this refers to the magnesium to potassium levels. And so uh, tomatoes can get yellow shoulder and different ripening disorders if the magnesium is uh, out of whack with the potassium. And so that's something why I'm like tomatoes, definitely bring it in separately or blueberries, right? Like blueberries really need a low pH. So you don't want to bring that sample in with this as the same sample you're going to run your raspberries or blackberries on because they need different things. So if you can be specific, be Mm. specific. That's a great point because like if we know it's a home garden, so many times they'll say, well, it's a home garden. But if you're really into, let's, I love the tomato example. If they're really into tomatoes, you kind of have to dig a little bit deeper and say, you know, do you, how many tomatoes do you, you have to kind of investigate with them to see if it's really just, which that's going to give you great results if you just say home garden and that's fine. But as you get on a larger commercial scale, our soil samples are broken down into homeowner and commercial. And when you get into commercial level sample results, they're much more specific and generally they're for a very targeted crop, as Alexis pointed out. So two totally different categories in our uh, soil sample system is homeowner on the horticulture side, homeowner and commercial. Even the forms are different. Uh, homeowner tends to be general. It'll be things like deciduous shrub. Mm-hmm. Whereas commercial will be blueberries, a specific plant, if that makes sense. Right. Do you know if I I haven't looked at all the new things that we've got now? Is there a commercial uh, flower one yet? I have. I didn't see it the last time I was looking at categories, but it's supposed to be coming, isn't it, Alexis? I'm not sure. Uh, So I'm only saying this because it's it's personal, but I've done some research on it. Uh, For those of you who listen, who maybe are, are doing flowers on a larger scale, I tell my cut flower growers to run their, and I do this, and I tell my growers to do this, to run their sample as a tomato sample because we have good data out there to compare what flower nutrients are to tomato nutrient, and we know what those like ratio is. So if your soil test for a tomato says put down one pound of nitrogen, we know that flowers only need about half of what tomatoes are or whatever. I'm just making up numbers right now, but half of that. So I know I can, I only have to recommend half a pound if they're doing flowers, flower crops. So, so when you get, when you get your soil test results, you get mm-hmm. both the actual absolute results, the numbers, and mm-hmm. you get the recommendation from the agent. It's not just, exactly. so, just the agent's recommendation. So if you're a little more advanced, you can say, I know that you, I know why you're saying this is the recommendation for tomatoes, but mm-hmm. I'm going to use my knowledge of this to exactly. interpret the results a little differently. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you, you get, we, you get a lot crop. of info on a soil test um, mm-hmm. and you get, yeah, you'll get the eight, what the agent has to say, but you'll get those numbers. So you'll get your soil pH number. You'll get the pounds per acre of phosphorus that you have and magnesium and things like that. And then you'll get a recommendation. Well, so um, based on Alexis's encouragement, to be honest, I feel comfortable admitting <laughs> and get also based on my great experience with my agent. Ray walking me through my first soil test. Um, I'm comfortable admitting now that I'm going to put in a, a 200 by 50 foot uh, small orchard with some apples. And I'm also <laughs> going to be putting in a plot that, uh, in my landscaping that has a couple of junipers, a couple of uh, mm-hmm. dogwoods and some other perennials like that. Is there anything that I should be doing differently for those, Ray? The main thing will be... Um 
keeping in mind when you pull a soil sample, once again, that's the basis of a good recommendation, pulling the samples, you got to think where the roots are going to be ultimately on those crops and where are the roots going to be on a perennial tree, on a, on a tree, I guess I'll trees are by definition perennial but they're going to be deeper so you're looking at 12 plus inches on some of those things and i would have to ask a lot more questions is it a dwarf tree semi-dwarf so on and so forth just keep in mind that's going to be a deeper soil sample Mm -hmm. that's the biggest difference there and we ask a few more questions we get into more calcium particularly on like apple trees and and take a lot of a lot closer look at some ratios of things because that gets into the commercial uh, side of things. And we don't, uh, then I encourage people, I, I stop and say, are you keeping records? Because Josh already alluded to it. Records become so important here as you get into the perennial crops of taking a good consistent soil sample, seeing the crop re- the crops response to, you know, whatever you applied your inputs, the, the previous inputs. So that, that becomes a kind of a big deal, not only the mechanical things behind it, like soil, you know, the sample depth, but also keeping records. So that I start to flip the switch in my mind when someone is commercial and start to think about things like that and start to really whittle down and narrow down the crops. And you said what apples and what, what in your scenario? Some landscaping um, where I'm going to have a couple of uh, Chinese junipers and a couple of dogwoods and while I'm at it, I'm just, you know, extension is so helpful. So I'm going to ask one other thing too, while I'm here in the office, you know, <laughs> I don't know what this bit is that I'm playing out, but I like it. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm trying while to envision this, Brett. It's like mm-hmm. a mini arboretum. I like it. Yeah. And I also have a mighty, mighty oak tree out in front of my house that is yeah. yes, a do. number of years old. And mm-hmm. I want to make sure that that guy's healthy too. Is there, can, should I be soil testing for, for her, them? Absolutely. And are they in different zones? It goes back to the discussion that we had just before you said the front lawn, then you have a back area. So those are obviously going to be functionally different zones just by the very definition, probably maybe on different slopes, maybe not. Mm -hmm. Uh, But one's in the front, one's in the back. So I automatically kind of break those into zones. But yeah, most of the business is in the front. Most of the parties in the back in this case. There you go. And the apples are in the back. So that's where the party's at. That's right. And um, cider apples. Yes. So now you're throwing curveballs. Longevity there is going to change when we make the third year recommendation. So yeah, we could have a discussion on that. Totally. For some of those. Depth is one of the things. Depth of soil is for one thing for perennials. Depth is important. And trees, we always talk about taking soil cores the soil samples from around the drip line of trees Mm -hmm. because we just use that as an approximate indicator of where the feeder roots are. Mm -hmm. And that it's not, it doesn't, it's not perfect, but it's a good starting point to start from the drip line where the limbs on average of the tree end start there and take your sample from around that area. When you're dealing with larger perennials, I usually tell homeowners to do that. When you're taking, you know, samples for existing plants, large existing plants. So just keep that in mind. One thing you can do, like I know we're talking about soil sampling today and soil sampling is, is the, is the thing, right? It's like the number one that we're going to recommend to do. But if you are seeing some issues and you're like, well, my soil sample didn't really seem to show anything missing or I put down what I'm supposed to uh, for especially for your perennial plants but you can do this for annuals in your garden as well is tissue testing and so tissue testing Mm -hmm. is just leaves and they they will squeeze out the juices press them out and take a sample and that's kind of what's immediately available so where the soil testing is showing you what 
could be available to that root mm-hmm. system, the leaf is going to show you what is actually in that plant at that given moment. Uh, so, it, and it could be different from a week to week basis, what's in there and depending on the time of year. But if you're having any issues and you started first with the soil test, that is always going to be the first thing. You can then move on to foliar testing and say, you know, what am I missing? And maybe it's that, you know, you did put down that calcium, but it ran off because you've got a slope or something like that. And so we're seeing, a you know, a calcium deficiency in the leaves, or it could be that your soil is compacted. So maybe you put that down, the calcium is still there, but your soil is so compacted, you're you're not taking it up. And so there could be some other environmental issues, Mm -hmm. some abiotic issues that are causing that plant not to be able to take up the nutrients that are technically available in your soil. That's another regional difference. And you said tissue sampling, we always called it Kleenex sampling. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh my that's god. The, that's the trade. No endorsement yeah. intended or implied. <laughs> Somebody write that down in a book. Brett's dadism. <laughs> gonna go he was not he was not gonna He was let so that pumped. Slide. He was like, please stop talking. Please stop talking. What? I've got <laughs> a joke. <laughs> well, you're gonna be passing it by. You're you know, data this is the like the whole part of the whole crux of extension is like that we're we're talking about some data informed decision making. Uh-huh. In mm-hmm. some cases, the, the data will not be conclusive, uh, at, at least initially. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh, yeah. OK, well, we know that the soil isn't a problem based on the fact that we did a good sample based on what Ray had described. We had mm. good conversation and analysis talking to Alexis about this. So it's something else is going on here. And then you add mm-hmm. more data points and you try to. I mean, and that's that's fundamentally what we're doing, which I think is really that's why soil sampling is such like a it's such an extension topic. Uh, <laughs> it's like so Absolutely. OG extension back, yeah. you know, way, way back. Cause it's so, it's not, it's a really it's nice. Based on records that are a hundred yeah, years old. It's, it's amazing that like nitrogen, for instance, is based on just thousands and thousands of hours of research and crop responses to get an approximation to come up with a composite number. Uh, for mm-hmm. something that's complex because nitrate in the soil is absolutely no indication of whether or not that's going to be available to plants. Mm-hmm. Organic matter is absolutely no indication in the soil of not and nitrogen is the most limiting, you know, factor uh, for plant growth in the world. And we have to approximate that. And the only way we can approximate it is through experience and research. So yeah, soil samples kind of a, it's a near and dear extension topic because there's so much information that and uh, effort been that have gone into these numbers and it's interesting that it really varies if you go out to, to the western u.s where they have more sandy soils mm. it's really really going to look different or josh i know you have some experience in florida mm. and uh, were those really sandy areas that you had experience in they're going to behave completely different in how they do kind of make recommendations and things aren't they well yeah when i was in uh like kind of coastal georgia was very sandy and Mm, uh, yeah i mean just in general the south has a problem with like nutrient leaching um, yeah nutrient deficiency but uh specifically like certain micronutrients like yeah boron boron deficiency is very widespread Mm -hmm. Um, and then when i was out in new mexico um they have it's almost always your recommend or the recommendations are coming back for sulfur and then mm-hmm. also like EC or soluble salt buildup is a huge mm-hmm. deal, right? Like salinity is kind of the mother of all issues out there. And what's the, um, what's the sulfur application? Um, I want to say it has to do with um, soils being like way too basic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like 
you sulfur know, is sort like of like the opposite down. of the opposite of lime in the right. as far as the soil pH adjustment. Mm-hmm. That's something I had to learn because um, I, right. <clears throat> yeah, I didn't know those things at one point. If you have blueberries or rhododendron, sulfur is your friend. <laughs> and that's another important thing we talked about, like lead time on soil samples. When you have a specialized crop like blueberries, for instance, um, it's really important to give yourself a year or two. I know that's a lot of lead time, but uh, it's not uncommon for a specialized crop such as uh, blueberries, you know, that that's acid loving, lacks a more acid soil. And, and homers think, or even some commercial producers are like, well, we can, you know, add sulfur in the amounts that we need to neutralize that. And then we're good to go. But the problem is you need sulfur in such amounts that mm-hmm. it would burn the roots off. Mm-hmm. So the only uh, answer to that to do mass changes in your soil is preferably to, to put down some of those uh, amendments before the crops ever there, mm-hmm. these mm-hmm. perennial crops. And that's a really great point on timing. That if, and, and I know that's a very specific scenario in soil sampling, but we do, and we do stress to homeowners. And if you want to wreck a homeowner's good mood, you can say, you know, they'll come in and they plant their blueberries and then, you know, they're, it's really the pH of 8.2 or something. <laughs> and they're like, well, what can we do? We're like, well, you <laughs> can start to acidify, but they're probably going to be dead before yeah. you are able to make the amount of acidification necessary. So yeah. timing is super important. Give yourself lead time for these things. You know, I can't stress that enough in soil sampling. Yeah, in a lot of a lot of scenarios, you can come in a few months before and you can get your home garden recommendations, no problem. But some of these specialty crops, commercial commercial producers are generally thinking ahead any which way as they're planning to put in new enterprises. So it's it's not a huge issue. But just be aware of that as a homeowner if you're looking to put out some blueberries. Yeah, I mean, in, in general, adjustments to soil composition are much more successful if taken gradually same way with like building organic matter you know oh i have organic matter of i mean not the nutrient stuff but like ph and like yeah Mm -hmm. yeah, dump on a dump you know 18 truckloads of compost onto my soil and now my organic matter is 40 (laughs) percent that's (laughs) not exactly but not ideal either so two oh sorry i i just had two two more noob questions yeah go for it so one is how big of an area, maybe it's not even the right way to ask the question, but how big of an area before I should consider taking multiple samples? I know Ray, you mentioned front yard, backyard should be separate samples, but like, that's a tough one. Is, is um, there, is there, a, do you have any general kind of thoughts on that? Uh, I, mean, I would say West Kentucky, it may be 50 acres, a hundred mm-hmm. acres. That is absolutely uniform without, yeah. with, with uniformity is incredible. So I, I don't, I, what's your take on that, Alexis and Josh, even you, you probably dealt with large commercial spaces that were pretty uniform. Well, I've seen in the publication, like, I mean, if something is truly, truly uniform, uh, you know, there's Which no if you don't in, know, that's different. If you don't yeah. know that it's uniform, that's the problem. Well, yeah, yeah and because yeah. you know, things are a mystery as to what was there yes. historically, then you can't make any assumptions. No, you can't. You can't do that. Um, yeah, that's correct. But I have seen, you know, if you're looking at for like a, a rough number, the thing I've seen in publications is that, you know, you break a field down into something like two and a half acre grid cells. Mm-hmm. And somewhere around there, but you know, you can make, I think it's just kind of how many different samples do you really want to be taking Mm -hmm. and you know, what can you sort of justify because there is a cost associated with these. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. Back in there. So my other question, but I'll, I'll say 
you can also take a bunch of samples if you are excited about that prospect. I was literally just <laughs> going to say that. I was like, how much do you yeah. want to know? Yeah. Like, yeah. well, and yeah. and maybe I'm confused at your question, Brett, but like you're talking about like how many bags do you want to bring in? Is that what you mean by a sample? Right. Or are you so, talking so about how many plugs I want to take? Oh, I man, I missed take? the point. Yeah, maybe no, 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 no. I'm, I'm talking about how many bags, how many individual okay. samples. Like, do I need – so like let's say, for instance, here's one example – I have, I live in Lexington on a quarter acre lot mm-hmm. and I have an area in the back where I do, I would do a vegetable garden, an area in the back where I do perennial flowers, an area in the back where I have trees. Mm-hmm. Should I be sampling each of those independently? I mean, it's, it's a, a 70 foot by 50 foot area that all, oh, of the, um, all three of those things are located inside. Put it this way. Let's assume that that's a uniform lot, but and I'll revisit that in just a second. Let's assume that it's a uniform lot. How we handle that in our new soil sample program is you bring in one physical sample and then we can do what's called alternate recommendations on one sample, meaning we can do one for trees, deciduous trees. We can do one for, you know, your apples and it'll run those. It'll take the same sample and run alternate recommendations for multiple crops. Now let's go back to like home, you know, home spaces, the home lots. They tend to, from my experience, intend to vary incredibly more so than ag fields. Um, You may be able to assume that you, you know, the cropping history of a 10 acre ag field and it's pretty uniform. You need one sample, but I've seen small, home lawn areas, you know, that need four or five to adequately capture that area because it's been intensively managed over the years. So it's counterintuitive. These small urban spaces or small home spaces sometimes need more samples than large ag operations, believe it or not. And it all goes back to that. Well, has there been a bed there for years of azaleas or whatever? Or has that been a little spot that you've had your vegetable garden for years? And it's based on use areas and soil structure. So cropping history and structure, both of those play into that. So a small home space may need multiple samples. So yeah, yeah, it's kind of yeah, that. So I, when yeah. I, when we moved in, uh, you know, I work for the ag college. So we took <laughs> six samples in the back in, in that space that I just talked about. And we took probably mm-hmm. four samples out front nice. and they mm-hmm. were different enough that I was <laughs> glad that I took them. And now I did some follow-up samples recently and I took, I think, I think I took in a total of four, two right. from the front and two from the back. Cause I kind of knew where the mm-hmm. general variation was. Yeah. Um, and, and, and also you mentioned the management difference. Like there's the one area that had been just has been disturbed and disturbed and disturbed and disturbed yeah. with tillage. And the other area has just been growing up into a mass of biomass and flowers and grass and dying <laughs> back and no, no, not touched at all. And that kind of, mm-hmm. that kind of discrepancy. And so my other question is, noob question before I turn it back over to Alexis is how do you, I mean, is a soil test every year? Is that the recommendation or is that overkill oversampling? Is that depends? Yes. Yeah, so how how often? On. For homeowners, if it's a home garden, it doesn't absolutely have to be uh, every year. I oftentimes say every three years is fine unless you see that you have to correct a rather large pH problem, for instance. And then I want that homeowner to take a sample that year and then come in and bring me a sample the next year to see how effective their lime 
did in neutralizing or adjusting that pH. Mm -hmm. But for homeowners, a lot of times if it's a home lawn, not a lot's going on besides just mowing, not a lot of disturbances every three years. But Alexis, your commercial people, that may not be often enough. Is that right? For like flowers, do you do every year? Yeah. So I would yeah. recommend if you're cropping intensively, mm -hmm. then every year would be ideal, especially if you're adding amendments or you're cover cropping mm -hmm. in some way every year. So if you're putting down compost, if you're cover cropping, you need to kind of see what's working for you and what's not. So Based doing on the value of the crop also, you have a very valuable crop yeah. there. And I tell people to take that into account. If it's a valuable crop, I'm going to do it every year regardless well, for and, my records. And it's not like soil sampling is that expensive when you do have to pay. Mm -hmm. Like here mm -hmm. in Kentucky, if you have to pay it all, not a, not some counties run specials, like they have a sponsor. And so certain times of the year, if you bring a soil test in, it's free. But even if it's not free, it's like seven bucks. It's still seven right. bucks, maybe 10 bucks. At, and that like you get organic matter with that. And even if you have to send it off, so like when I was buying a house, one of the stipulations of buying a house was a good soil sample result because I was farming. So I, that was important, <laughs> but I needed those results quickly and I couldn't wait two weeks to send it off to UK. I needed them that week. So I sent it off to a private lab uh, and it was like 20 bucks, maybe, right. maybe $30, but like that was max. And I got a lot of stuff to go with that. So it's not, it's, if you're going to put, you know, if you're going to spend a hundred dollars on seed. Uh, and if you're a commercial operation, you're probably spending a lot more than that on inputs. A $30 test is a drop in the bucket for what mm -hmm. that can do for you. If you don't have to put down a lot of fertilizer or, you know, you do, it can save your crop. So to me, it's like kind of not even, not mm -hmm. even on the, in the ballpark for something to worry about price wise. In light of this, it's, it's a, handful of plugs in the bucket as opposed it's to handful the of plugs in the yeah. bucket man nice. yeah. it's fine yeah i wanted to and maybe this like makes me sound defensive but brett said something about how like there's so many different variables and we always are trying to collect these different data points and any of you who maybe have ever been frustrated when talking to your extension agent because they just don't seem to have an answer for you just a reminder, I've said it once, I believe, I'll say it again, plants don't read the book, uh, they do what they want, and mother nature is very variable. And so we can have your soil sample come in, we can do a foliar test and all of those come back good. And we're like, okay, so it's not nutrient. So we have to go through all of these different things to figure out, you know, maybe it is your soil, but it's the texture of your soil. It's not the nutrient capacity or the holding capacity of that. And so you have to be kind of patient. There's no easy, there's not always an easy answer. Uh, and I feel like I say that a lot when I'm talking to people like, why is my tree suddenly seem to be dying? Well, it's not suddenly, suddenly dying. It's been dying suddenly. and it's just now showing this, you know, mm. the symptoms of it. And, you know, and not, just, not, in a, not in like a Buddhist, like we're all dying. <laughs> we're all dying. Sylvia like there was something there. There, I, was, there were signs. I don't know if you got how many times you guys have heard this, but like, you know, you see this big old oak tree maybe that's dying and, and you're like, well, it's just, it's old and older tree. You know, you can tell it's old and it's been through some things because it's in an urban environment. And people are like, well, oak trees live out in the forest for like 300 years. And I only planted this 30 years ago. And I'm like, well, but the lifespan is friends to lean on. Yeah, they have very different life. You know, there's more <laughs> that goes into that. And and I, as someone who has like a master's in plant science, like I definitely don't always have the answer. And there's plenty of 
PhDs, despite what they might tell you, that don't always have the answer. No. Bro, the, the effects of like growing within a forest context oh, yeah. and like yeah. growing alongside other plants, that stuff is crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's like yeah. this. Neil sent me an article about, uh, I think it was the New York Times. It was about these like little micro forest planting yeah. things that they're doing. And it's in it, the idea that like these things grow so much faster than they than they would if there was just one of they them. They have their friends, yeah. even though they're there competing yeah. with each other. I mean, so like Josh is, they have their friends to lean on. Is like a real, you know, we're tricksters around here. We're jokesters. Well, I said he's it. real. This is real. <laughs> that was a real comment. Speaking of tricks, yeah. I remember getting really upset with a forestry professor that had this question. Well, actually, it was botany, um, and I won't mention Dr. Ralph's last name. Famous <laughs> botanist at Berea. Uh, really, I mean, super guy, but he loved putting this question on his test. He says, what's the most limiting factor, keyword? What's a, Or he said, most limiting nutrient in forestry growth. And I was like, nutrient, it has to be nitrogen because, you know, I was thinking of nutrients. And then, you know, the test came back and he said, wrong. He said, it's sunlight. I'm like, sunlight. And I remember us getting this argument. Sunlight is not a nutrient. He said, oh, I meant to put factor. So we, it's this whole <laughs> thing. And I was like, and the whole class got a point. And I was like, I will not back down. It's the only argument. I have one of the few arguments I got with a professor in my undergrad. I was like, it is not a nutrient. Sunlight is not a nutrient. But yeah. The trick of the um, riddle is that I meant factor. <laughs> yes, the trick is I misspoke myself when I really actually meant this. the question so, yeah. inside the question. Is I know what the I words mean. mean. Ecosystems, uh, and I guess he was just speaking. He's trying to get us to think more on an ecosystems approach. Sure. And, and soil sampling kind of speaks to that because it is a snapshot. A lot of times, if soil sampling is a good base, uh, it's a very, very important base for understanding of growth and plant health. And if that doesn't tell us all we need to know as agents, we will go uh, a lot of times further into other deeper investigations, such as tissue analysis that Alexis mentioned so that we can, you know, kind of put other data points into play there. But soil sampling just can't be understated. It's it's just it's so It's always very the first important. thing yeah. I say. It like, is, yeah. And I know when, that's a broken record. Our master gardeners, Alexis, are so sick of us saying that, but oh, I say I teach it every the soils, I teach the yeah. soils section for the master gardeners, Absolutely. like around this general area, and they hate mm. me, I think. So, <laughs> well, it's I'm one of the things. Samples. I was going to say, it's one of the things where, you know, you can, a lot of people, you can look at a plant and maybe you don't know what's wrong with it, but you can tell when it's in distress or you can yeah. tell when it's not. You feel uh, it. Where, Right, you feel it inside. I'm that way with soil, unlike the rest of you. No, but Shut, you know, me? like that's the important thing about a soil test is it it kind of reveals like the mystery of what's going on there because there aren't you can't just look at a soil for the most part and know mm-hmm. that something's off, right? Maybe you, like can. you can't see, but it's good dark soil, Josh. It's going to be amazing. It's good dark soil, <laughs> and really, it's like super anaerobic and has yeah. seen oxygen. It's tilthy because it's, it's just juicy. it's like there's a smell sour smell to it do you all have a favorite flavor of uh, soil at all of what favorite flavor of soil crunchy I love I always always go to Costco when they're giving out the soil samples that's why I I like me some good I like a clay loam I like a clay loam yeah I like a loam but I know what I'm good at yeah clay is good do we have a plan to take us home so to recap, we'll we'll do a quick recap for you. In recap. Do a soil test. If you're not sure, like know what you're going to sample for. And if you're not sure how 
you know, deep to go. If it's a perennial, you're going deeper, you're going eight to 12 inches. If it's an annual, you're looking at, you know, six to eight. And if it's turf, you're probably looking at, you know, two to four, something like that. That's a good rough number for you. And if you don't know, call your local extension office and ask them. And maybe they have a probe for you that you can rent for your soil sampling. So, so do it. We recommend doing it in the fall for most areas of of the, I don't know what it would be for Florida and Georgia, but in Kentucky, it's fall. I bet. I'm <laughs> it, sure it's the same thing. They, they don't, don't have seasons. Do it's it. tough. So, <laughs> I, yeah, seasons. I guess we could say do it, you know, four to six months before you plan on doing your major crop maybe is a good way to do mm-hmm. it. And then, you know, get that soil sample done, get your results interpreted, make sure you're specific about what you're asking for and there's no shame in asking for it. So, so be specific about what, what you're growing, uh, there and, uh, what else am I missing? It's a pretty good recap. Just remember it all starts with pulling that good sample and pull a good if sample. in doubt, just call your local extension office and uh, get details on what they need uh, to give you the best results for what and you're And if doing. you are not in Kentucky and don't have a county extension office uh, and you don't know how to find your extension office or something along those lines, uh, you can contact us at horticulturepodcast at l.uky.edu. You can find that in the show notes. You can also find us on Instagram at Court Culture Pod, uh, and you can send us a message over there if you need more info on soil testing or foliar testing or want to hear something else. That's really cool. We always welcome. Otherwise, we're just sitting around. We're like, what are we going to talk about next time? And trying to find we're something nothing that, without you. We're nothing. Without <laughs> we're nothing you. without you. Our it's audience. <laughs> and and we're we are also number. nothing without your reviews. So if you could leave us one, that'd be great. Thanks. <laughs> but if you're, I think- if you're listening on Spotify and they don't do the rating thing, make sure you just make sure you're following us and as penance, yes. tell ten friends and make them listen to it. Yeah, please. Mm. We just we- kidding. Really appreciate y'all listening. Yeah, we we hope you like it. You know, we we do this for you all. I mean, it's fun for us uh, to get to see each other, but and we enjoy talking about and chat. I mean, and hey. We like to talk about when, plants, and this gives I, us a good excuse. When but. I have YouTube people that I watch, I refer to them as my YouTube friends. I actually just refer to them as my friends, and then people are like, "Oh," and I'm like, "My best friends, actually, my bonsai oh, you friends." You can't meet them because they're they live in yeah, San they don't live around here. They live in Canada. Yeah. But yeah. we'll if, be your if podcast. Any of you will refer to us as your friends. That is is the most awesome thing that I've ever conceived of. And if you say that and haven't left us a review, you're dead to me. Yeah, you know, friend, you ain't no friend of <laughs> like mine. Bringing it back home. Friends leave friends reviews. <laughs> friends leave friends reviews, but it does help us get out to other people's earbuds. So uh, we do appreciate that. And, so and anyway, free to recommend to other people that might like it. Yeah, please, link them up. A little share icon. Help us out. Help us out. I post, I've been posting please. some funny stuff on Instagram. So follow us on Instagram. Please, you know, I, please, 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 share us. we're not desperate. We swear. Uh, Smash anyways, that like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. Smash it. <laughs> well, we hope that as we grow this podcast, you will grow with us uh, and join us next time as we talk about some cool plant things and send us your recommendations. Anyways, have a great time. Have a great time. Have a great week. Uh, We'll talk to you later. Nailed it. (laughs) 